0: Andy Earl. We're here today with Annie Fox, the author of 12 books. She is an online advisor to teens and parents all over the world. She is the creator of The Insight, a really popular resource for teenagers, and she's maintained a stealthy online persona on that website for decades where teenagers send her their questions about important things in their life and she sends them advice on how to handle it. So from all that experience, she has then written a dozen books both for teenagers and for parents on how to deal with all of this stuff. She is an incredible resource on character education for middle school and high school aged kids. We are so excited to talk to Annie today about ideas from her book, Teaching Kids to Be Good People, her middle school confidential series, and her experience running the insight and her online persona, Tara. Annie, thank you so much for making the time to be here today.
1: Thank you very much.
0: So you have written a massive number of books, including publishing some of them yourself. The list is like an entire page of all the books you've written. I've read five of them myself, um, Teaching Kids to Be Good People, The Girls Q&A Book on Friendship, and The Three Middle School Confidential Books. But I know there's more than that. So can you just talk a little bit about what propelled you into this whole massive thing?
1: <laughs> this whole massive thing of writing or this whole massive thing of writing for kids and giving advice
0: it seems like it's more than writing because you talk about how kind of there's all these questions that you have in these books from teenagers like all over the world who have emailed them to you and you're like responding to them so there's some sort of an online presence that you seem to have going and you seem to have kind of just built this whole big online kind of community and are also writing the books about it and i'm fascinated by where it came from you know
1: it, it, it's a cool story. I'll tell you, Andy. <laughs> uh, way back in the fall of 1996, I was doing some writing, um, software reviews, and screenplays. I was also working on some CD-ROM scripts with a partner. Ah. And in the afternoon, I would take a break from my computer and do my stint as the after-school carpool mom. And we had a big honking minivan. Had a lot of kids there. My son at that time was in sixth grade. My daughter at that time was in 12th grade. And so I found myself kind of immersed every single day in the conversations that really were bookended by those two grades, sixth through 12th grade, Mm -hmm. which is middle school through the end of high school. And the kids knew me really well and trusted me. And so, you know, I wasn't just eavesdropping. They were all often conversations that included me. They were asking for advice and it's natural for me to tell people what to do. (laughs) (laughs) But I do it in such a charming way that you know it's um, very accessible. Anyway, what I found out was, much to my surprise, hey, the girls in the back of the minivan, and this is nothing nefarious, um, all of a sudden that fall started talking about where they were applying to colleges. Now, I Hmm. knew very well that at the end of 12th grade, these students were on their way to the next chapter of their lives, but um, it hadn't really hit me in quite a visceral way that They were no longer focused on the day-to-day stuff of high school. They were now looking into the future.
0: Yeah, right.
1: That night, I literally had a dream of being in a carpool that was a virtual carpool. It was a place where I could continue to give advice and counsel to tweens and teenagers Ah. after these girls moved on.
0: And this is 1996? Yeah. So this is before the era of smartphones and Facebook even and all of that. So how did this virtual carpool look to you?
1: To me, it kind of looked like chat rooms only instead of chat rooms where people were kind of, I, I always picture chat rooms as a room without lights where you kind of wander in and you bump into people. Sure. <laughs> and yeah, and yeah. nothing very substantive ever happens in any of them. And then you <laughs> pop out and, you know, like that.
0: A lot of just talking about nothing and yeah.
1: Yeah. What if what if there was actually something to chat about? And uh, I know what teenagers are interested in talking about. They're interested in talking about relationships, peer relationships, romantic relationships, issues with their parents and siblings, the unfair teacher or coach. And so I thought I could I could probably do this. This would be kind of fun. I could like be the carpool mom for the world. <laughs> and so as it happened, that I woke up that morning and said to my husband, hey, I've got this idea. As it so happened, he was working for a company called Talk City, which was in an earlier iteration part of Apple's eworld, is one of the first online community <sighs> things. Yeah. And so at that point. Talk City was looking to actually create some content with meaning for specific audiences. So I pitched the idea to David and David took it to work with him that day and (sighs) came home and and got a thumbs up green light for me to develop a teen website.
0: Wow. And so when you mentioned earlier that you had been working on CD scripts. Yeah. Yeah. So you had some software kind of development experience at that point.
1: Um, I'm a designer. I'm not a programmer. My husband's a programmer. But we were okay. working for, you know, like um, Electronic Arts and Sony and Disney, all of those. So so sure. what my writing partner and I would do is we'd hand over an interactive script that would say on this screen, there are these objects. When the player clicks here, sure. there's some dialogue that triggers, et cetera, et cetera. So I understand the way software works, but I'm, I would, no, I'm not a
0: programmer. Sure. Yeah. Okay.
1: I had a vision. I figured I could imagine anything and let the programmers tell me what's possible. They'll
0: kind of figure it out. The technical aspects of it over there. Yeah, sure.
1: And they did. I, I spent nine months developing the site. It's wow. called the insight.org. That's T H E I N S I T E the insight, like in the cool site.
0: Yeah. Right.
1: It's for teenagers to log into, at that time, chat rooms where we had hosted topical chats run by responsible adults who were, you know, public health educators, substance abuse awareness educators, people who did their thing with kids brilliantly in the real world, but they had never been online before.
0: Hmm. But then there's also like an aspect where you have like a personality on there and are kind of like an advice columnist almost, or people are sending you questions.
1: Yes, I created a character named Tara, and T E R R A, kind of like Mother Earth. And Hey, Tara was just really, it was like a panic button. The image Mm -hmm. is this young woman just screaming her head off, like Edvard Munch's The Scream. You know, it's like, help, hey, Tara, you know, I need some help. And if you clicked on that button, you got to a form that invited you to ask Uh... me a question. And so all this email started coming in, Andy, from all over the world. And sure, yeah. it was pretty overwhelming because we n- never advertise. I had no idea where these emails were coming from, but I just started answering them. And that yeah. was 22 years ago. And I'm still answering emails.
0: Wow. It's funny because I had a similar thing where as a, a researcher, you know, we've done a lot of research on adolescent risk behaviors and I just wanted to kind of get it out there to parents. I made a little website and started getting emails from parents, like these long emails with this whole situation and asking me, you know, hey, and what do I do and what do you think? And it really fueled me that there's people out there that, you know, this is really important to them. There's something cool about just getting those like candid questions from people. But then you took these questions from the kids and turned it into both books on like advice for teenagers and then also more like stuff for parents or educators. That is so cool. So what came first? Where would we dive first in these books, you think?
1: Well, there was actually a book that came before the ones that you're holding that's no longer in print.
0: Ah. It's
1: called The Teen Survival Guide to Dating and Relating. And it now exists on my site as a free downloadable PDF.
0: Ooh. Okay. So that's cool. Teen Survival Guide. And and that's on AnnieFox.com.
1: Yeah. Under books. And so it's a Teen Survival Guide to Dating and Relating was the first book. It came out in 1999. And it was a compilation of some of these handpicked emails, obviously anonymous. And I only chose the ones that I felt would have universal appeal.
0: Yeah. It would resonate with people.
1: It's not something really specific. It's one that I thought any kid would probably be able to relate to on some level or another. And Hey, I'm an educator. I do this because I want to teach kids to make better decisions, to calm down so that their brains don't flood them. And they end up doing or saying things they later regret. And yeah, so th- right. the letters that I picked, I felt were most educational, which sounds very dry, but, but it's not. The book is really cool. And I, I included some quizzes in there and some quotes from teens. And that's a really popular book. And when it went out of print, I thought, sure. hey, I'm just giving this away. This, ah. this, is, this is good.
0: <laughs> it's juicy stuff that kids want to know. And I feel like something about being able to get it from an anonymous chat like that is sometimes easier than asking your parents or talking to your parents about it. Or even like as the, you know, the trusted parent in the carpool, you kind of are in that role of like the, you know, trusted adult, but like just not my parent. And there's something there's something about that that like kind of opens it up.
1: Yeah, I Uh, think what blew my mind the most when these emails started pouring in is that the need and maybe you saw this as well, that the need was so great that it superseded any fear or embarrassment of actually committing one's problem into words. Now, the internet is great that way and these emails were anonymous. They weren't going into a school counselor's office and looking at someone in the face and talking to them or have someone have right. have one of your classmates see that you just ducked into the counselor's office. Right. This is it was a medium that encouraged, for better or for worse, anonymity.
0: And also something about reading that someone else had the same question that you had is like so affirming just knowing that you're not alone and then it allows you to read the answer in a much more like kind of open way than you would if it was just someone who had told you hey you should work on this because now you feel more like okay reading it knowing that oh, other people are asking about this too like it's okay for me to kind of ask about this.
1: It's absolutely true. And, you know, I was kidding before I say, I I tell people what to do. The truth is in these emails, I never tell people what to do because I'm not Mm -hmm. a therapist. And even if I were a therapist, I think it would totally be irresponsible for me to try and do therapy with somebody, um, anonymous person via email. That's not what I do. I'm an educator. And my focus really is learning how to manage your emotions so that you could communicate your needs And to listen to other people so that you can get where they're coming from. That's the key to healthy relationships, which as far as I'm concerned, are the only kind worth having. So what I say to kids when they write to me, you know, I reflect back. You know, it sounds like you're really upset about this. I can totally understand. That must be very frustrating for you not to have your best friend believe you when you tell her the truth. And she insists that you're lying. Mm. You might say something like this. So I encourage them instead of to root about it, to talk about the friend behind her back, to lash out, to actually have that conversation and give her some words she might use. And then I always say, good luck. Let me know how it goes. Most Uh, people never write back to me a second time, but but sometimes they do. And that's very gratifying. And they get to see that by calming down and actually saying, hey, I didn't really appreciate when you did this, and this is why,
0: yeah.
1: and they find that they get some success, they go, wow, <laughs> you gave me a magic spell or something, and they are yeah. more likely to approach things more directly in the future.
0: So I love this little book, the girls Q and A book on friendship that you have. It's 50 of these questions that we're talking about right now that were submitted by girls about specifically kind of dealing with like friendship related problems between them and other girls. And it was really interesting to me reading it, noticing it, it was like you said you don't tell them what to do. And it, it's like a lot of times they are already coming to you knowing what to do. And they're just looking to you to give them permission and to kind of like pump them up a little bit. And so many of your answers seem to say, well, it kind of sounds in your question like you already know what the right answer is, right? Uh, it, It just really hit me like going through the book that it's like what so many of these girls need is, you know, just someone to tell them, hey, yeah, you know, your needs matter. And you should go tell her, you should go advocate for yourself. And then, like you said, you kind of give them a little bit of strategies for how to do that. And I, I wonder, like, you know, since we're talking about parents, what things there are that parents could do to teach those skills or to make themselves like someone that their daughter thinks they could talk to about those kinds of questions or or that kind of thing.
1: I love that you asked that question, because in the intro to that girl's book, there's a suggestion that you might read this with your parents. When I am out talking and those books are in the back of the room for sale after my presentation, I encourage the parents not only to buy it for their daughters, but also to read the book. Not necessarily read it over her shoulder, but read the book. Because what I'm doing in my answering to each of those 50 questions is I'm modeling what I think is effective parenting.
0: It's like after you read this, You feel like, wow, man, if my daughter asked me any questions about friendship, wow, I know exactly what to say because I just just read 50 great answers. And as you go through them all, you start to notice themes of like, oh, I see what Annie's kind of doing here. And yeah, that is really effective how she does that.
1: You know, there's another piece to it as well, which I think a lot of advice givers maybe miss. And it has to do with taking the antagonist's point of view. It's like, I'm having a fight with my friend. She's totally to blame. How do I get her to stop doing this? Yeah. And let's take a step back and think for just a little bit about why she might be behaving in this way. What might be going on with her? It might have nothing to do with you, but you're the brunt of it. Is there something you could do to let her know what your needs are, but also to be a good friend, which would be? to give her an opportunity to talk about what's going on, that all of a sudden she's treating you like you're invisible.
0: Yeah, they talk about, you know, psychology 101 class, you learn about the fundamental attribution error, that we're just so much more likely to attribute other people's bad behavior to their character, to being them, rather than to the situation, you know, and we make dispositional rather than situational attributions. It's like, it's so helpful to just like we're teaching metacognitive skills as parents, and getting our teenager in the habit of like thinking from the other person's perspective. Wow, well, like let's just put ourselves in their shoes for a second, and da da da, and making that part of their process of you know of deciding how should I respond to this situation. You know, let me take a moment, and like modeling that if you as a parent kind of like do that with them every time they come to you or uh, you know a, a situation like this comes up.
1: I think um, an overall good tip for for parents is to talk less and listen more. (laughs) Mm. It's like those letter writers that you said, Hey, you know, it seems like these kids are coming to you and they already know what the answer is. Ah. So instead of saying, Oh, my kid is sitting here asking me a question, I'm going to, you know, jam all my parenting knowledge down their throat. (laughs) It's like, wait a minute, (laughs) just stop for a second and see if you could figure out what exactly they're asking what they actually need to know or what they might just need reinforcement for because they already know it.
0: Don't they though, right? It's like just doing the right thing. Um, But but it's amazing how many of these quotes in this book, you get the feeling like this kid, A, is not going to talk to their parents about this decision, right? They're going to make this decision on their own. And then B, like that they really are kind of on the border, you know, that they are trying to decide, like, should I do the right thing and stand up for my friend who's getting picked on or should I not and just kind of go along with the bullies because it is making me more popular and they're wrestling with that. And for you to go in and, you know, help them make the right choice there is huge. And it makes me wonder, you know, how we can train those things if we feel like, you know, we haven't done this yet because a lot of stuff with parents, I think is, you know, easy if you start early from the beginning. But if you realize, you know, hey, my teenager is like 15 and I haven't really, you know, done much of this coaching about this kind of stuff, is it like too late to get started, you think? Or how do you like crack that nut open? You know?
1: Yeah. But, but here's the thing you need to walk the walk. That seems cliche, but you may not have had these conversations in such a pointed way, but hopefully the way you've lived your life has Mm -hmm. been a great role model for your kids. And I think that you shouldn't, as a parent, think that you've kind of missed the train because you haven't had these sit down conversations. You know, we use the phrase, do the right thing. And everyone seems to know what that means, but it may mean something different to different people, which is why I wrote the book for parents teaching kids to be good people. I thought, well, I have an idea what it means to be a good person, but Maybe I should actually, before I start writing this book, see if there's some kind of universal consensus of what that actually means. So I sent out about 1,200 emails to people I knew, to people who've contacted me over the years via email. I just said, when someone says he's a really good person, what does that mean to you? It was really an open-ended kind of question. And I got some amazingly thoughtful responses that really reflect the eight chapters that I put in that book. People Mm -hmm. talked about honesty, reliability, being responsible, being a good citizen, being empathetic and compassionate, caring about others, being generous of spirit and time. So I thought, okay, this is not just me deciding what makes a good person. This is a whole bunch of people who are pretty much in agreement, at least in these data points. If we can all agree that not all teachers or parents, but all parents on some level are teaching something, and if we could all agree that the world needs more good people, then how do we as parents go about teaching those attributes that we say would be a really fine thing to transmit?
0: Right. Isn't that what we all want to know?
1: Yeah. And so that's why I wrote that book. <laughs>
0: We're here with Annie Fox talking about how to teach teenagers to be good people. And we're not done yet. Here's a look at what's coming up in the second half of the show. Look, we make mistakes.
1: We misspeak. We let our emotions run wild and stuff comes out of our mouths that we wish we could take back, but it's too late. I say that when you've made a mistake, just get on it right away. If we're not learning from these missteps, then you're on a hamster wheel. You're just going around and you're not getting anywhere. And that's why you often see adults who just seem to be very limited in their ability to admit mistakes, to learn from mistakes, to empathize with other people's perspective. It's all about them in a fortress, You know, you hear the old old thing that says, you know, we're much more alike than we are different. Well, that's absolutely true. That's why I could say to a second grader, you're angry right now that this person, quote, stole your friend. This person is new to the school. He doesn't have any other friends. Have you ever felt lonely? What do you do when you feel lonely? What do you do when you look around the playground and everyone has someone to play with and you don't? How does that make you feel? And just by asking those questions, you are encouraging empathy skill building. Yeah. It becomes almost overwhelming for a lot of teenagers to even entertain the thought. I have to have a conversation with this person face to face. Let me just Mm. text them. We're done. It's over. (laughs) if you're not sure that you're doing a good enough job, giving your child what you needed or what they might need, you're just not sure, then why don't you ask them? Why don't you just have a conversation that says, I want to be a better parent.
0: Want to hear the full interview? Sign up for a subscription today. You get unlimited access to all the interviews I've conducted. It's completely affordable and your subscription helps support the work we do here at Talking to Teens. Thanks for listening. I'll see you next time.